0: Welcome to AML Now. I'm John Byrne, and we're now into February of 2018. I recently sat down with uh, Professor Jody Gissel at Marquette University. She was the subject of an interview at A Camps Today in 2017. The interview revolved around a project that Marquette's involved in the Justice for Fraud Victims Project. And it's a very interesting use of students in the accounting. Uh, area, the business school at Marquette, helping small businesses deal with fraud issues that perhaps local police and other law enforcement don't have the resources or ability to work on. It's a very interesting um, use of what we hope are the next generation of individuals that are going to help us with fraud and financial crime prevention. So sit back and enjoy my interview with Dr. Gissel. Jody, you were kind enough to sit for an interview for ACAMS today last year on a program that's uh, fairly new here at Marquette, but one that generated a lot of interest with the members. Because uh, the members of the AML community, and that's a broad definition, so that's that's fraud prevention, financial crime, sanctions. But members of that community, um, I think, find value in uh, programs that work with law enforcement, with prosecutors, so that private-public partnership, which is something that we continue to emphasize at ACAMS, but getting it started in uh, while folks are still in school is great. So I wanna ask you a couple things. I wanna first, if you could outline for us again, the Justice for Fraud Victims project from a couple of perspectives. One is, how did you first learn about it? Because I know there was some other jurisdictions that have done this. And then how has it been working? And I'll ask you a couple of quick questions about that. And then the other thing I want to talk to you about, as a, as, a, uh, as a doctor here at Marquette University, teaching students in forensic accounting and a bunch of other areas, sort of what can we expect for the next generation? Because in AML, it's only been around for 30 years, you know, mid, mid-80s. Fraud's been around a lot longer, all right? Yep, yep. Uh, so any recommendations you have for employers out there? What's happening? And we'll, t- we'll talk a bit about that. So Sounds let's good. talk about the project. When did you first um, uh, find out about other jurisdictions, and how did you get it uh, set up at Marquette?
1: Great. So originally, I had heard about it uh, the exact date is escaping me I want to say around 2012 and had been at a conference and heard about this program at Gonzaga that they were running and was immediately intrigued because it sounded perfect for our program our institution obviously Gonzaga is also a Jesuit institution so there are commonalities there sure Um, but I spoke with the director there got some information brought it back to our chair, Mike Akers, at the time, and he was also very excited about it. So it took some time to, of course, get that established and, and up and running because there's a lot of moving parts, as you might imagine. You're bringing in law enforcement, as you said. Uh, there's a um, someone from the DA's office that's involved, and then mentor from the professional aspect, so a lot of, a lot of groups to bring in and get on board and, and put together. So started working on that and laying the groundwork for that. It took us until fall of 14 to run oh, wow. the first program. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and a lot of that was just reaching out and trying to establish those relationships and we're still doing that and still hoping to, to grow the program. So that's an ongoing event that happens. So, uh, got that all in place and it actually ended up once we had the parties agreeable and, and ready to come to the table then it actually found into place rather quickly we met in late spring early summer of 2014 and met with everyone from representatives from those different areas and said we have a case let's do it so we the the what I call the, the core team or the administrative team again has a representative from the DA's office from the police department. We've been working primarily with the Milwaukee Police Department at this point. We're again we're hoping to branch out, and especially now that we've had a few successful cases, that we can try to use that to promote that with other jurisdictions in the area. And then our, our mentor Tracy Conan. Is, has been working with our students in the program and myself and then the accounting department chair is usually involved in that administrative core as well and so we we meet as a team and law enforcement and or the DA's office will bring cases that they have that they are working on or are new that have been brought to them that are potentially eligible
0: so what are the parameters, uh, I, I, you know, and obviously financial fraud of some sort. So what are the parameters right. yes. of the program?
1: Perfect question. So what we're looking for is there, there's a strong service component to this as well. And so we do look for certain qualifications for the victim mm-hmm. or the alleged victim victim organization. So we're looking for generally smaller businesses mm-hmm. where they've experienced some type of financial fraud that, For them, the cost of a forensic investigation is too overwhelming, and they really can't afford those services. And the police department, from the law enforcement perspective, would normally do the investigation, but they have limited resources as well. So we're looking for a case where we can help them and alleviate some of that resource allocation issue, but then provide that service to the organization that can't afford the fraud investigation
0: so 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 that would come primarily from the police so it's not the small business coming to you guys even though now you're a little more well-known than you were right. it's the police saying this fits within what we both decided made sense yes. and we just we just don't have time or resources to do this can you help us yes. so so they'll yes. come to you guys
1: so they're so they're the ones that at this point have been bringing the cases to us now you bring up an interesting thought because I was actually just thinking about this this morning and that at some point I would like to be able to maybe expand and this is kind of a a big dream vision of the program but being able to kind of make our resources more known and have some type of direct link or direct ability for those smaller organizations to be able to come to us then and maybe they've already potentially experienced the theft that they want investigated Or if we can provide some type of internal control assessment to kind of help them better establish controls, we know that's an issue in smaller organizations. So trying to think big picture, what can we do to really help these organizations? And at the same time, it's really giving the benefit to our students as well because they would not have this type of exposure generally in an in internship or, you know, a traditional classroom setting that we can really give them that applied opportunity to, to learn a much deeper lesson.
0: Sure. I mean, hands-on is always, always better. Mm-hmm. Um, when you did the interview with camps today, mm-hmm. the several cases that were, uh, you know, that the, the project was engaged in mm-hmm. were still ongoing. Is that still the case?
1: It is still the case. So I can't discuss any of the details of the cases because they, they are still at different stages of, of the process. The way that our course has been structured here at Marquette, and I know that there are other institutions that have adopted this. So the program is growing. Um, I think at one point a university in Alaska may have had a program. Uh, I know that the program has gone through different, Iterations at Gonzaga even they at one point had a, an extremely large program was my understanding um, and I'm I think that Over time things have shifted there and it may look different today than it did seven years ago, but um, How we have been doing it here is as we're trying to get established we've been doing a, a fall semester course mm-hmm and it's run as an independent study course instead of a formal course that students register for. All that means is that the students uh, register for that not, as, it's, it's not a, as if it has its own specific course number, and so it's, it's just more of a general course that we use. And we still have regular meetings with the students, uh, but they work then very closely with the mentor on the case throughout that semester and they they do they they learn certain types of basic skills in terms of a forensic investigation uh, but then they apply those specifically to the case very quickly and then they move throughout that the semester doing that they then at the end of the semester prepare a written report and they present their findings to um, our core team as well as some additional members of law enforcement victim organization sends representatives wow. and so they they really get that interaction and benefit as well
0: so there's a time frame to some degree because you want to get it done before the end of the semester if exactly, you can right? exactly yeah. yes
1: and that's so some of that is what we look at when we're looking at the cases as sure. well is is this something that we can finish within that time frame some of it may be we found that if it's too early in the case we can't get the subpoenas in place for documentation because we will try to do some of that ahead of time before the semester starts so the the students there's already some background work that's been done but we structure it so that the students still have to approach the case Mm -hmm. as if it was brand new and so we don't just drop everything in front of them and say, here are a bunch of records, look through them. They actually are given some initial information and then they have to think about what do I need, how would I approach this, and And then we start to give them more detail and more information.
0: What's interesting is we found this in general with the law enforcement community is not every um, local police, city police, obviously Milwaukee Police is a big organization, mm-hmm. have the skills to do financial crime detection. Now some might, but that's probably plays into too, into it as well. I would imagine that some of your students have stronger skills than their police counterparts, only because you know, they're doing several other things. What do you find with the Milwaukee police in general? Because be, so it's a city, so obviously I would expect there'd be some they Uh,
1: they do have a financial crimes unit okay good so that's who we work with so they they are more attuned to the issues. so that's extremely helpful Uh that they they are experts in that area as well and so they they at least have that understanding because you're right in some particularly smaller municipalities they wouldn't likely have those types of special units and so we've yeah. Know, been able to work at the time you know I
0: know uh, back where I come from Fairfax County Virginia they have their own money laundering unit but that's very rare that's very rare for these, right, for right. counties to have that sort of thing so right.
1: which which for us is fascinating like oh, that's fantastic yeah I know. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah but, yeah let's um, we'll talk a little bit I, we can't talk about the cases specifically mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. but one of the things I remember from your interview and in, in our conversations is one of the deficiencies well, in, in in several of the cases, it dealt with, if not all of them, insider activity. So, employee fraud, employee uh, discrepancies. Um, talk a little bit about that, but also mm-hmm. I think the the counter to that are controls, right? Internal controls. We talk yes. about oversight and controls in the corporate culture sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you you can look at an organization and see, well, their controls are strong, their oversight strong, their governance is strong. I would imagine that's a real challenge for small business.
1: It is challenging. Yeah. And so the the other nice part about our program is that part of what they do then is, and part of their report and the presentation that they give does focus on controls. Mm-hmm. And so giving some recommendations in terms of ways that they can try to Im- improve. And we can't absolutely guarantee fraud won't occur in the future because mm-hmm. we, we just can't do that as sure. professionals in, in any setting. but. Um, to give them at least some additional preventative measures, and detective measures, because at least, too, if we can catch something more quickly, we can minimize the loss.
0: Yeah, detective measures are so, so important nowadays. They are. They
1: really are. Yeah. Because I I feel like that no matter what we do, we can continually find new detection methods, Mm but then our fraudsters are just going to find different ways to do things Right. and so we, we need to be ongoing awareness and really know what's going on there. But um, it's, in fact, the case that we just ran this fall, we actually expanded that un- internal controls piece into uh, a bit more where they actually provided a written document. Um, to the the alleged victim organization with a checklist of things to do Mm -hmm. and so we've we've tried to expand that a little bit more And That's the fun thing about the program as well is that each case that we do We learn a little more and we grow into different ways and different paths So I feel like we are growing into a much stronger program each time we run it
0: the the um, victims organizations you talk about Mm -hmm. so in Milwaukee there is a organization that helps Victims of fraud, whether they be in small business or individuals, or how 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 do Um, they operate? So that the group that are part of part of your uh, committee, Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: what is that? What you know, are they just the actual victims themselves? The victims themselves. Yes. Yes. So the the
1: companies that have been have come in and and been the the case. So yes. So um, yes, I'm sorry. When I say victim organization, I just mean the yeah,
0: the company. The company.
1: Yes. Yes. And we've dealt with. Uh, for profit, small for profit mm-hmm. businesses. We've dealt with some non profits, mm-hmm. so we've had a variety of cases, even in the few that we've run. So it's been really interesting from that perspective as well.
0: That's great, and you know, I think obviously, as you were we were saying a little while ago, um, getting publicity so that eventually maybe folks come directly to you. You'd still work closely with law enforcement, of yes, course. Absolutely, that would be. That uh, and that's optimal.
1: a key. That's a key component because part of it too that we look at is is this something that would be prosecutable our program doesn't guarantee prosecution and so that's not our only goal but if we can get justice (laughs) for them then obviously that's what we're trying to do so we we make it very clear that we're not guaranteeing prosecution but part of what we look at and, and part of the reason that our our da and our law enforcement are part of the team is because they can say they can look at the parameters of what we know up front and say, mm, I don't know that that case could really go anywhere with it. I couldn't really do anything sure, with that. Sure. Sure. And I was also going to circle back on a, a point that you had made. To to this point, we have focused on. Occupational settings. So it's it's that they're an employee of the organization gotcha. or maybe a volunteer within the organization, that type of, of setting. So not
0: outsider. Abuse. Right. Yeah. So we're
1: not looking at, mm-hmm. at fraud being imposed on an organization from a third party. So that's been uh, another factor that we're looking at as well.
0: What it, just in general, with your, with your experience, what is a recommended practice for controls regarding employees? Uh, Obviously, you do background checks before they come. There's, as well, you, you know. So what else?
1: You say that, and I'm not discounting it. It certainly is important. But there's a high percentage of frauds that are never reported, because they maybe they can't be proven or they can't be prosecuted. So the bas the background check is important, and we need to do it. But it's not. The only thing we need to right, do. And but so I was I, yeah, I, I was that
0: sure, because, sure. I, um, what I was thinking oh, is when you yeah. fr- when you first come on board, but yeah. even that, you could have somebody commit a crime who's never had that in their background. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yes, right. and that that's yeah. Right. Um, so that's important to to recognize. So background checks are important, but we don't want that to be our our safe oh, no. of that. Um, strong oversight, mm-hmm. I- particularly in small organizations. Mm-hmm. So if it's You know a small company the 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 owner is involved hands-on making sure that they're reviewing the documentation that's being kept reviewing um, you know weekly monthly but but looking at everything doing the bank reconciliations and inspecting the checks yeah you know tying out what the you know revenue or, or receivables records show if they have receivables with what's going into the bank So those types of things are critical. And and I guess I would just kind of put that into a catch all as strong oversight because we tend to not have segregation of duties in small organizations. So we have, you know, one person who's doing pretty much everything with the cash. Um, And we, we tend to place a lot of trust in our employees, particularly if they've been there for a long time. Now I tell my students, I am a highly, highly skeptical person because I've, and I, maybe this isn't a good thing, but I, I've shifted as I see more and more that I tend not to trust anybody And my mind is always thinking about, wait, what could be going on here? We, we need to be aware of this. Sure. Um, and it's, um, certainly changed my perspective in many ways as I've gotten older and more involved with this line of work, but it, it's important to To trust but verify, I guess, would be what I would say is, you know, have that trust but also have that oversight and don't just assume that everything is being taken care of and that there's no issues. You
0: know, it's interesting. There's an age-old requirement in banking that you have to take a vacation.
1: Yes, mandatory vacations are a key control as well.
0: And that's been around forever, and Mm -hmm. that's because, you know, hey, Sally or Joe, they've been – they never leave, you know, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Well, they're, they're great workers, yeah. but yeah, we're losing money. Yeah, they come
1: in early, they stay late, they never take a vacation, yeah. they're perfect. Yeah,
0: and then you find that out. we
1: need to, there's that control issue. So,
0: so that leads me, I do want to spend a couple minutes talking about, uh, as i said up front, the next generation mm-hmm. of those that will be involved in the broad field that we are both uh, part of. And so you teach forensic accounting and fraud examination. Tell us a little bit about that, and also, from your perspective, do you think that students are, gra- are gravitating to that more than maybe in the past? Uh, should we be optimistic that we're getting a good next uh, generation of folks that are going to be able to detect and prevent fraud? Just From, from where you mm-hmm. sit, seeing the students and sending them off, uh, what can you tell us?
1: I think we absolutely should be optimistic. and positive that we're going to have a strong next generation. I think that it's important to have that type of a course or that type of exposure in the academic career. Uh, we're actually doing some some research and writing some some papers that that make an argument for that, saying that we need to have that type of Mindset and perspective in order to train these Um, And maybe they won't all go out and become forensic accountants, but even as auditors even as tax professionals Or you know going into private that you have the awareness because it takes everybody to watch for those red flags Because those red flags can just be little things here and there But as they start to add up that's when we need to really pay attention Um, as you mentioned I teach the course here is titled specifically Fraud Examination, which obviously is a component of forensic accounting. But I try to, what, what I tell my students the first night is, I, I understand you're not always all going to run out and become CFEs or forensic accountants, but my goal here is to develop your critical thinking and your investigative skills. Because those you can take and translate and use in any path that you choose. And so that's how I approach the course we do a lot of casework. I the justice for fraud victims project is separate from the fraud examination course mm-hmm. so there isn't that live case application in the fraud examination course however I do have them run I, I have a large case that I run with them in the second half of the semester where they are given a basic scenario and they have to figure out how to approach it. They have to collect evidence. So they have about a three week evidence collection period that they actually send me evidence requests and I give them back. If they ask for, uh, you know, bank statements, I send them a stack of bank statements that they have to go through and the evidence, they don't know what that case is going to lead to. So they, some of the evidence will be helpful. Some of it won't. And so I try to give them as realistic of a setting as I can without having a live case. They have to do an interview, and it's only one person that they get to interview, but they have to do an interview as well, and then they have to write their report. And so, again, trying to develop those critical thinking skills, getting them to recognize something that might not look quite right, and follow up on that. That's, that's my goal, and I think if we can structure that into the academic career that that will help lead then to a stronger professional capacity coming out and so that's that's my goal from from that perspective again not to memorize but to really learn what we're doing i
0: I would think employers would uh, uh, be very encouraging of that uh, the the way you're doing it as opposed to simply regurgitating Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it might be, yeah. um, since you've been teaching this, any any sense anecdotal or otherwise regarding where your students have headed off to? Like, ha- not that I'm sure. I'm sure there's metrics on this, but yeah. just generally, what are you seeing?
1: Well, and to come back to bring that in what you had asked about before that I missed to respond to. So, in terms of of interest in this area, I've seen that growing over time, even in the short time that that I've been in this position um, I've seen the interest growing I have more students that are not my undergraduate students that are told to come and talk to me about you know the, the forensic accounting so I love when they show up at my door and so I've I've seen that increasing I've seen an increase in undergraduate students wanting to take my course because it's a graduate level course. Um, and if they meet criteria, they can. So this semester I have a higher number of seniors than I've had in the past, which is reassuring to me Mm -hmm. that this is great that they're, they're having that interest. Um, I have one advisee that had showed me that, you know, she expressed an interest in her sophomore year. And so she's been, working towards that forensic accounting career from the very beginning. So I'm seeing more of that. Mm-hmm. And so that, that excites me that we're getting more interested. I think that some of that is due to a change in a growing in the profession of this area. So we, we have obviously a lot of different organizations that are more focused on this type of specialization. And so I think that that awareness has trickled down to, to our, students and the, their undergraduate careers and anecdotally I think that uh, larger firms are becoming more open to bringing in people earlier into this area of their practice so I mean it's relatively new as you mentioned right. so we we didn't have these organizations for, for that long in the grand scheme of things and so as um, they've become more established in the professional area I think that when they started it was more Bringing in people that were already established in their firm and having them do this work, whereas now we're starting to understand and see the benefit of bringing them in right away, and or, or very early in their career, and just having them work work their way through and, and really be trained more specifically right from the start.
0: That's great. Um, final question, get you mm-hmm. out of the out of here on this. Um, somebody comes to you. Uh, undergrad comes to you and says I'm really I want to make a difference Um, I I think that financial crime triggers so many other bad acts um, and I'm trying to figure the best way to do that how would you you've kind of already done it how would you sell them on uh, becoming a forensic accountant? what would be the biggest the biggest draw do you think they'd say oh I hadn't thought of that
1: Mm -hmm. I talk to because I do get this so I I talk to them about the different opportunities that they can consider so Um, there's so many different areas that they could work and it doesn't have to be a large public accounting firm they could work with a small organization that just does forensic investigations they could work in a governmental setting they could work with an organization specifically in that role so private organizations and nonprofit organizations have people in that role within their their, uh, entity as well so I try to highlight to them the variety of opportunities that they could consider. And then I encourage them to uh, talk to people. So I have a kind of a, a host of people that I go to, people that are on our advisory board or alums that I know are willing to talk to our students. And so I, I will put them in touch with them. And they're always willing to, to do that. And so usually there's at least three or four that I can draw on at any given time. and so they can get some different perspectives and insights. Um, And I try to do that if they have a specific interest in, say, governmental forensics, then I would try to gear the people that way. Otherwise, I give them more of a broad view so that they get many different perspectives. And then I say think about how you want to structure then your academic path to best prepare you for, for this goal and what you want to do and I, I tell all of my advisees look at your education as putting together your toolkit it's your opportunity now is the time right. take as many classes as you can that can give you different perspectives don't focus just on I have to take all accounting classes or I have to take all finance classes uh, there's a criminology minor that I encourage students if they have an interest to it's an 18 credits and it's fabulous so I always encourage that as right up front. Uh, but there's psychology classes that can be beneficial from understanding the, the psyche of why people are doing this type of thing. So so those, those are the, the pieces of advice that I usually give.
0: That's great. And uh, obviously, your passion comes through. Uh, and that's important. Uh, so keep doing what you're doing. Thank and, you. Um, as a, You as, too. <laughs> as we've said up front, uh, this next generation so critically, want to keep people engage that yes. thi- this is an area of focus, whether you looked at, um, uh, you know, uh, financial crime that, it, that emboldens elder abuse or human mm-hmm. trafficking or terrorism, mm-hmm. uh, if, you're, if you've read the stories about the Panama Papers, you all yeah. need, you only find out about these things if you can dig into the financials, yeah. right, and yeah. that's yeah. that's a key. Yeah. So, thanks so much, Jody, thanks for sitting down and Thank talking you about this. Time. Well, there you have it. Uh, Again, another example of how important it is for there to be programs, whether they be at universities and colleges or within firms, financial institutions, and of course, ACAMS, uh, programs to help the next generation of financial crime prevention fighters basically learn their craft. So I want to thank Professor Gissel for sitting down with me. For more information about that program, you can go to acamstoday.org. Uh, One more thing before we close today. Um, This is early February 2018, as I mentioned, on the front end. One of the things that's going on, clearly, in the United States is extremely troubling regarding an element of our community, and that is the recent attacks on the brave men and women in the FBI. We're fortunate, at ACAMs, that they're a big part of what we do and so important to the law enforcement aspect of AML. I just think it is horrendous that in this environment we have to listen to attacks on folks that keep us safe, that work closely with us, and really we wouldn't be where we are as a community without the FBI. So I throw that out for your consideration and hope you will, as I'm trying to do, make sure this does not go unanswered. This is John Byrne for AML Now. We will see you next time.